0: Hello and welcome to the Refuge Church podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on how you can be a part of Refuge Church, join us on Sunday mornings in Jacksonville at 9 a.m. or 10:30 a.m. or visit our website at refugejackschurch.com. In this week's podcast, we are continuing our sermon series, Sent. Thank you for listening. you would stay standing for a moment, just want to lead us in a time of prayer. So if you would uh, just pray with me, Lord, we love you and we, we need you today. and we, um, we pray what we just sang, Lord, let it be true in our heart. God, that all our hope is found in Christ alone. God, so we just want to take a minute to pause, kind of setting aside all that's been this week and all that's been this morning. Got to, to reorient or refocus our attention around you. And so, God, we, uh, we thank you and we call on your name this morning. Lord, you have told us to seek your presence continually, and we do that now. Lord, you have told us to remember the wondrous works you have done. Lord, would you do that now? Would you recall those to our mind? Because we're prone to forget them. You are God and there is none like you. You never promise what you will not keep. You never fail, regardless of how small or insignificant we might appear or feel that we are. You have a people, us, God, purchased by the blood of your Son, and you will bring us into glory. Lord, we also need to acknowledge we have sinned and failed and doubted this week. We have not been who we are in Christ. We've at times loved the world, times we've ignored your word. God, I have forgotten you by thinking so much of myself. God, in faith and in knowing that you will, God, we ask you again that you would forgive us. God, we are grateful that we can be sure that you will forgive us. You have redeemed us. You have called us. You have purchased us, you have justified us. We are yours and all of our hope is in you. Now God, would you prepare our hearts to receive your word that it might change us. God, we need you and we love you, amen. You can grab a seat. As you do, if you'll find um, uh, your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter one, if you don't have a a Bible, didn't bring one today, there's a black one in the pew in front of you and it's page uh, 418. Man, if you'll find Psalm chapter one, um, Psalm chapter one is gonna kind of be our our um, I mean our focal verse or passage or chapter, kind of for the summer. We're gonna we're gonna take the summer to talk in great deal about discipleship, uh, about what that should and can and does look like at church. Um, if you're warm in here, uh, as air conditioners do in Florida, you get it checked out in the spring, and then you walk in one day in June, and then you're like, it's hot. So um, we're not preaching on hell. There's no analogy there. It's just a little bit warmer, okay? So uh, we'll sweat through it together, and then it'll be better on the other side for it, maybe. So, um, but Psalm chapter 1. And here's here's kind of the plan. We're really just going to look at the first three verses. If you write in your Bible, I think there's some things you can write in. If you want to take notes, there's a card in front of you. It's just really generic. It says Refuge would love for you to write a few things down. Potentially, um, if you've been around, you've heard us say this: that Refuge Church exists to see the lost saved, the saved transformed. And let's see if you know it. And the transformed. Ooh. Hoo-hoo. I thought I, I need to like walk off and do it again. Uh, no, that's okay. We'll we'll try again later, okay? We want to see the lost saved, saved, transformed, and transformed. That's a little better. That's okay. We're getting there. So this is part of our DNA, but but that middle section is, is what I want to really key in on, really, for the whole summer. Is the saved man transformed. And so this summer, we want to ask this question. So you can write this down um, because we're not saying here we're gonna answer it for you. We're really saying, would you pray and would you help us pray around this question? What? Should discipleship look like at Refuge Church? Uh, in two years, in sep- excuse me, in September we'll celebrate two years as a church. We're still learning each other. We're still learning what God has for us, what God wants for us, what God's going to do. Um, but I would tell you this: um, I think now is the time when we can start to pray and ask the Lord, "Hey Lord, what does discipleship look like for us at Refuge Church?" I don't know that we want to get up here and tell you as much as we want to invite you into that conversation. And so, Psalm 1 is this real unique uh, chapter, six verses. Um, And what Psalm 1 does, it's real unique, is it draws a a juxtaposition between, in the first three verses, a follower of God and and this person's lifestyle, and the other six verses, four, five, and six, a a rebel who is opposed to God and and their style of life. And this morning, I just want to look at the first three verses. Uh, You're welcome to read this later in the week. But but there's really three big things we're going to pull out of the first three verses. Um, This is the life of the man who follows God, the woman who follows God, the the righteous way. It's going to say what he avoids in verse 1. It's going to say what he delights in in verse 2. And then you're going to see the result of those things. So kind of like 1 plus 2 equals 3. So he's going to avoid some things. He's going to delight in the word is what we're going to see. And there's going to be a powerful result um, as we get there. So the, the, the Psalm 1, verse 1, chapter 1 says this, blessed is the man. So we stop with blessed, um, that word gets all kind of um, men, men love in our culture. We love to say I'm blessed. We love to put that tag on our car, on our coffee mug, on our sweatshirt and say we're blessed. Just so we understand that all on the same page, the idea of blessed here is as a result of these things, the man we're going to read about Is happy. There's a gladness in disposition. There's some goodness or joy in his life. And so he said, there's a gladness because of what we're gonna read, okay? But here's what it's gonna say. It's gonna say three things in the first verse. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So you got he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, the first thing. The second thing he says, nor stands in the seat, excuse me, nor stands in the way, excuse me, not in the seat, that would be strange, nor stands in the way of sinners, and then the third part, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So to walk with someone is to be associated with them. My wife, um, she ran away, I guess, but she was here a minute ago, but she loves to walk. And so when people see us walking, they don't walk up to us and go, why are you guys walking together? They know that we're together, right? Like we're, they associate us as being together. In our neighborhood, people now wave at us, not just her, like we're walking together. So to walk with someone is to be associated with them. So he's saying what? We don't want to be associated the way of the righteous with the wicked. Let's continue. We don't want to stand with someone, the next one, right, who is in the way of sinners. And so to stand with someone is to be aligned with them. I take a stand with you that this is the way we live, this is the way we agree, this is the conviction we hold. And to sit with someone is is to know someone, And, and the best example of that is if you can think back to ninth grade, and if you went to a school and you got your lunch tray on your first day of school and you walked into the cafeteria, where you sat that day mattered. And you wouldn't just pull up and sit with some seniors if you were in ninth grade, because you know that wouldn't go well. You had to know someone. You had to trust that when I set this tray down, I'm not going to get ridiculed, run off, shamed, or my piece thrown on my head kind of thing. Like, I need to know them, right? And what he's going to say is the righteous man avoids the, the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers, is he's talking about he's intentional with who he's around, Man, your people and your community matter. Let me let me just. This is one thing I would write down today. I think it could be really helpful in verse one. Man, who you give your time to matters. Who you choose to give your time to matters, and who you give your best time to matters. Look, we all have a good time and, and not a good time. Like your best time, who you give it to. And social media, man, plays such a large part of this. Man, who are we giving our best time there as well. But back to the wicked. And for the wicked, when it says we're not gonna, he, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, it's kind of obvious. The wicked are those who are lost, who are those who are opposing God. The temptation here is to live a lifestyle opposed from God. Therefore, I'm not going to walk with that person so that I don't walk and live a life that is opposing to God. It's kind of obvious. The next one, don't want to stand in the way of sinners. The sinner here is, is kind of obvious but subtle at the same time. It's it's, it's that thing where they're going to live in such a way that we know is not healthy or right, but we kind of laugh at sometimes, maybe affirm, or at least just don't say anything about it. We know that the way they're living is not healthy or living righteously, but we choose to, if we fall into it, there's a compromise there. And so he's saying, I don't want to stand with that person in the way of sinners because I don't want to compromise my faith. I and mean, the temptation here is, is, to, is, to, is often found in the church is, is to compromise. Like, I know that's not right, but because they do it, I want to do it. Because I want to please them, like, I'm also going to do it. The last one, man, is, is, is probably the, the scariest one in a lot of ways for us. Because it says, nor sits in the seat of scoffers or, or mockers is another word you might see. The idea here is, is the description of an evil person Man, that would appeal to the evil desires in a naive person. Man, somebody who's a scoffer or a mocker is someone who is going to desire to shame others by their words, by their actions, by how they choose to live. Man, how often do we see this take place? Christians who would shame to mask their own shortcomings. You know what this looks like, right? That church is dot, 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 that Christian is dot, dot, dot. They're not biblical, they're not spiritual. They're just emotional. How about this one? You've certainly heard this one. Uh, They're hypocrites. They're fruitless. When the idea of scoffing or mocking is is taking a kernel of truth and using it to mock God's church or God's people. And I think the temptation when to sit in the seat of scoffers, the temptation there's another bitter Christian. Man, this weekend I was, I I met a guy for the first time. He kind of walked up to me. We were at something and he and he said, hey, uh, hey. Um, so what do you do? And I told him I was a pastor, and we got to talking. He said, oh, I used to be a pastor too, and, but I got hurt, you know, church hurt, and he kind of walked off. And I was like, oh, I, okay. I, and it was a little bit like, it, like I had hurt him because I was a pastor. And, and later we interacted, and I said, hey, you said that. What did you mean? He said, you know, church hurt. And, and I was like, oh, and he got kind of animated again and walked off. And But the things I've learned about that, and 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 I think it relates to this scoffer or mocker thing, is if we're not careful, the temptation in scoffing or mocking, man, is to become another bitter Christian who's saying, man, I got hurt here. And this guy was telling me, you know church hurt. Man, our church hurt is not permission to mock. Man, oftentimes our church hurt is really not church hurt. It's these two, three, four people hurt me. I need to call that what it is. Being a disciple of Christ includes who I'm around and who I choose to give time to. And so the reason all this verse 1 is really important is just not so much as I need to make a list of who to avoid, but it's, man, who am I choosing as I'm formed like Christ to be around? And who am I choosing not to be around, to give time to? Because becoming a disciple of Christ includes who I'm around and and who I choose to give time to. If you press on into verse 2, You get this incredible word, but, but it's just one T, right? B-U-T. It's this clause or phrase or conjunction we see in scripture when when you're going to see a shift take place in God's word. One of my favorite verses, Romans 5, it says, but God demonstrates his love for us. And so here you see, but his delight. So I'm going to avoid people like this, but my delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, I meditate day and night is what it says. In excuse me, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Can we talk about delight for a few minutes? Um, when I read that word, I, I think of I think of um, I think of ice cream because I read that and I go delight in the law. That sounds like something I want to engage in. And again, uh, so yesterday we were at um, <laughs> at a wedding and they had a a Kilwins ice cream bar. Um, which sounded amazing, right? And, and so the wedding party took their 45 minutes to kind of come in, and during that time, all the children in the room saw the ice cream, and they kept trying to run over to it and get ice cream. So you saw this little thing taking place while this... Well, one of the little 12-year-olds in the wedding, the little brother, walked up to the father of the bride as I was talking to him before the ceremony and said, Hey, Dad, are they still doing the ice cream bar? The dad said, Yeah. Yeah. And the kid just looks up and goes, I'm eating ice cream until I get sick. And then he walks off. And I was like, this guy's got a plan. Like this sounds, I mean, this, this kid woke up delighting, man, this tempt- like delighting in the fact that he was going to get some ice cream. And, and I think there's a temptation to read a verse like delight in the law of the Lord. Man, like a 12-year-old would view ice cream. And here's what I mean, that if we don't view it that way, then something's wrong with us. That if I don't view the desire, the delight to read God's word that way, then I'm missing something. But that's not really the idea here. The idea here, the delighting in the law of the the Lord, is that I see God's word as valuable, I see it as necessary, Um, I see it as something that keeps me healthy. If you read the Bible, one of the things that will happen is a, you'll start to notice when you're not reading the Bible because you'll see like there'll be some junk in your heart and life. And then b, sometimes you read it and God just convicts you of something. Like Friday morning, man, I got up, read the Bible, and just this weight of you haven't done the thing that I asked you to do. And it just and until I could do that thing, nothing else really mattered. And it's the weight of what the what the what the word of the Lord does to us. So when we see delight when it's much more, we see it as valuable. We see it as something I'm inclined towards. We see it as more of a need. Like, I know I need it in my life. I desire the goodness that it will bring me. Because if we're not careful, there's a tendency to read that and go, how come I don't wake up every day with a smile on my face desiring to read Ezekiel for an hour? But most people don't. I argued in the first service, and I'll do it again, that, that we should read this not as a desire for ice cream, but hang with me here, but maybe more of like a desire for broccoli, Like, nobody wakes up going, I can't wait to go in the kitchen and eat a steamed bag of broccoli, right? No one, if you've done that, I'd love to talk to you later and hear about your CrossFit journey. But, like, no one really desires that, right? But we know the benefits. We know it keeps us healthy. And oftentimes our spouse goes, you might need a little more broccoli. Here, I made this healthy thing for you. We don't desire it in some ways, but in some ways we know we need it. We know it's good for us. It's valuable, and so the desire for it sometimes is I'm inclined towards it because I, I need it in my life. I desire the goodness it's going to provide for me, right? And so please hear me, man. I, just, I think we've done a disservice to saying, go read the Bible. And reading this says, I see delighting in the law of the Lord and, and reading Scripture because it is valuable to my life. Therefore, I'm going to make time for it. Man, God's word brought delight and joy. And the reason he meditates on it day and night is because he sees that it's valuable, because he's inclined towards it, because he knows he needs it in his life. Man, so so as we read this, man, does that mean you're you're so quit allowing the enemy to speak a line to your life that you just don't desire it? Something's wrong with you. Of course, the enemy doesn't want you to read scripture, but this is what scripture reading is, is a discipline and why it's hugely important. Man, a life centered on God's word. A life centered on his truth and a life centered on his righteousness. A Christian who doesn't read God's word, in my argument, would be dead in the water. Discipleship does not take place apart from God. And there is no formation in your life without God's word. It starts and ends with God's word. And in the end, here's the question you can ask yourself today, later. Does the word of God have final say in your life? If you read something tonight, if you read something tomorrow, does the word of God have final say? So we we press on into verse 3. And so here's what I need you to see. I need you to see the 1 plus 2 equals 3. So verse 1 says what? Hey, the the, the man who pursues God, the man who's trying to live righteously, he doesn't do these things in verse 1. And because his delight is in the law of the Lord, he's able to delight in the law of the Lord. And because he's delighting in the law of the Lord, he sees it as valuable. Because he sees it as valuable, he meditates on it day and night. It's brought value, so he wants to return to it often and frequently so it can continue to do that. And that man, look at verse 3, and here's the result. That man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and in all he does he prospers. Please hear me, that, verse 3, is what the Lord has for you. That's what the Lord wants for you. The man who delights in the word of God is like a tree planted beside streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaves don't wither and all he does, he prospers. And the results of saturation in God's word are found in this delightful, I read it this way, horticultural image of a tree firmly rooted in well-watered soil. And the reality of our life is there's going to be days we wake up and, and weeks that go by that we don't read the Word and we don't go after it. And there's going to be weeks that we do. And when we do, this is, this is what is produced so I, I did a little bit of research this week and uh, just asking this question because if verse three says this, what does a tree need to be healthy? Now to be clear, you may know this. My senior year, I took a horticulture class one semester. So I don't remember anything, to be very clear. Did a little research. If I'm wrong, just be gentle with me later, okay? Again, this is mostly Google and a few books that I referenced and Andrew Peterson, if you know that reference, okay? So the first thing, if you want to man, have a healthy tree and plant a healthy tree, you have to plant that tree in the right place, you may know that already, that makes sense, right? It has to have enough sun and enough space for it to grow in its full capacity and canopy. I as we begin to think about the Christian life and going, okay, so if, if I want to be what verse three describes, is there enough exposure in my life to the gospel? Am I reminding myself of the gospel that I am a sinner? I am broken, I'm lost, and if Christ doesn't take my place, I am hopeless, and my faith is fully in him. Is there a place? For me to serve and grow and lead and be sent as an outflow or a response to that gospel. Another thing I learned is you don't plant a tree too deep. Apparently the tree systems and roots will decline in health, reducing growth, leaf size, leaf size and color. I, I didn't know this. You probably knew this because, you know, you plant trees a lot, right? And so, but like a tree, no Christian should be planted deeply anywhere. My hope and my goal is that the rest of my ministry years happen at Refuge, but on the same hand, to be a faithful Christian, I have to stand open-handed going, God, what do you have for me? God may, in fact, want to send you, me, or others, and if we're planted too deeply somewhere going, God has called me here, I'm never leaving, we can, in fact, hinder the very work of God that he wants to do in your life and in the kingdom. We are always to live open-handed, never too deep, called. We've got to be careful with that word called. The second thing, if you want your tree to be healthy, it's got to be properly watered. Proper saturation leads to growth. And the lack of saturation leads to immaturity and death. And this is not the word of God. We've got to be fully saturated in the word of God. Do you know where this matters? Being saturated in the word of God? Look at me. When everything falls apart, this is when it matters. I was reminded, Ezra was asking about it this week. When he was born, he uh, when he was born, he didn't cry, and the doctors quickly snatched him up and put him on a machine, and, and we're going, hey, what's wrong? He's not crying. He's not making a sound, and we begin to ask, what's wrong? What's going on? And you just see the doctors and nurses whispering, and you're like, that's not a good thing. How come you won't talk to me? And after a few minutes, they look over and they said, well, he's having seizures. We don't know what's wrong. And they, they take this little six, seven, eight pound thing and they hook him up to a whole bunch of machines that are way bigger than him. We're standing on the other side of a glass going, what does this mean? What is happening? And for me, it's in those moments that being saturated in the word is so important because then it becomes back up. The word begins to, that's taken root begins to come back out of me. God has not left me. He's not against me. He is with me in this moment. He is near. He can be called on. He's never failed me. He is good no matter what takes place. And those things begin to come up, but only when, and hear me, when our lives are saturated deeply with the word. And the lack of saturation, man, is going to lead to being immature or death, just like a tree. There's some other things. I got in trouble in the first verse about the other things, so I'm not going to do it. Okay, so there's some other things that the... A, uh, tree needs mulch, fertilizer. And as I kept reading, this is the one that stuck out and just like was heavy. And so this might be heavy, but I think it's a good heavy. And to grow a healthy tree, pruning has to take place. There has to be trimming, removing dead wood that's holding it back. Pruning is done when the tree is dormant and doesn't have any leaves. Pruning is necessary in the life of the Christian to bear fruit. Do you hear me? Pruning is necessary. Cutting away the dead part to bring new life. And here's what I want you to hear about pruning. Oftentimes, what we as Christians will call hardship or suffering or trials or tests or difficulties or hurt is, in fact, pruning. And let's be very careful as Christians that we don't mislabel what God is actually up to in our lives. John 15 says, Jesus is the true vine, and the vine is the vine dresser. And in verse 2, he says, every branch he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. I read this, I think it was last week, and, and, and I read this as I was reading and studying something different, and I took this sentence and rephrased it for what we're talking about. And Here's what I'd love for you to write down and hear me almost above all else today. A Christian who lacks formation or discipleship, is like a large, hollow tree. They might stand tall, but they can easily be cut down. A Christian who lacks formation or discipleship is like a large, but hollow tree. They might stand tall, but they can easily be cut down. We need deep roots. We need a solid base by streams of water. Hear me. Sometimes he plants, and sometimes he prunes. But in his goodness, he intends to reap a harvest of righteousness. It's an artist named Andrew Peterson said that sometimes he plants and sometimes he prunes. But in his goodness, he intends to reap a harvest of righteousness. Listen, when, how, and even who he plants are up to him. When, how, and even who he prunes are up to him. His planting and his pruning are both good and reap a wellspring of righteousness in us. Therefore, formation is about planting and about pruning. Do you Please hear me. Everybody wants to be planted, and no one wants to be pruned. Can we just acknowledge that right now? No one woke up today and goes, I want a bowl of broccoli, and I want God just to destroy me so he can bring out some good stuff. This is not the natural desires of our heart. We just want to be blessed and eat ice cream. Is that fair? But there's a pruning that takes place that in the end, if we are faithful, bears fruit on the other end that we can't imagine. Everyone wants to be planted and bear fruit. No one wants to be pruned But when we are faithful in that pruning, hear me, God will begin to bear more fruit in our lives than we ever saw possible. And I need you to hear me when we are faithful, not when you do more. I mean, the whole idea of formation is not go read your Bible more, go pray more, go be a better person. The whole idea of formation is go believe the gospel more. It's already been done. Christ died in your place. It's over. It's done. Rest there. No one wants to be pruned, but when we are faithful in that pruning, God will begin to bear more fruit in our lives than we ever saw possible. Pruning sort of goes against our American success culture as well. Why? Because it's hard, it hurts, it's messy. But hear me please, God is not less at work in pruning than he is in planting. He's just as much at work. I said this a few minutes ago, man, that Refuge Church exists to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. Listen, if we are not a transformed people because of the word of God, because of the presence of God, because of the community God places around us, if we are not a transformed people, the lost around us will not get saved, and those we will not send. So it's got to start with that. So this summer at Refuge is, is really asking the question, Lord, what does it mean, man, for us to be formed? Formation is another way to describe discipleship. Discipleship and formation. Discipleship is allowing God to form you into what and who He would have you be. And look at me. Sometimes He forms through planting, and sometimes He forms through pruning. But He forms us for our good, He forms us for righteousness' sake. He forms us to draw us deeper into His presence. Is that not the point? Like, did you hear me? He forms you and I to draw us deeper into his presence. Sometimes the reason he pulls things out of our lives or goes, hey, take that out, take that out, take that out, remove that, don't be around that person. Sometimes he does those things to draw us deeper into his presence, which is where we should long to be anyway. He forms us to be more like Christ. Man, as I am discipled, I am formed into a new person. I mean, you've heard the butterfly verse, right? 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Right? We're a new creation. You were a nasty worm. Now you're a beautiful butterfly. Like That's the imagery we often give. But the reality is, is, is less about that and more about you were this, and God's forming something new in you to be a worshiper of his, to declare his goodness to the world. Matthew 22, Jesus' question, what is the best thing? What is the greatest commandment? And what is the answer? You shall love, love God with all your heart, with all your soul. What is he saying? And he's saying that in the end, the thing that matters is do you love God above all? And does, does your affection above all, is it cast towards the Lord? So we would say formation is a redirection of our love and affection to the one who is lovely. Listen, got to do this wedding and, and like I love doing weddings and that moment is always so cool when they shut the doors, then they reopen them and the bride begins to walk down and you see the, the guy who's big and buff go, he's about to lose it because this girl's coming down the aisle looking all good and this kind of thing. And I always make eye contact with Beth. You're always like there. I don't know why, but always make eye contact with Beth, and we kind of take a moment. But this is what we're talking about. This is what's to come for us, that that today in a broken world, God's trying to redirect us to see something lovely, and it's really a picture of one day we're going to stand in the presence of the thing that is most lovely. This is the whole point of the whole marriage series, is that one day you'll stand before Christ, and that'll be the ultimate marriage feast. Be re-reminded that he is the one who is lovely and makes all things new, bringing all things together in the end, redeeming all things. So whether he plants or he prunes, his end result is to redeem all for his glory and our goodness. This is how much he cares about us. And formation, we'll pray, is allowing the presence of God to shift our hearts from do more to done in Christ. But it's allowing the presence of God to root that out. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. And Lord, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for a word that says one plus two and is three, and you get this, this is the life that God has for us, and as beautiful as it's painted in verse three, Lord, then there can be some some, some challenges and some pruning to get to that place very often. Lord, would you teach us not to reject your pruning? Lord, would you teach us to rightly celebrate your planting in us? that it is you who plant and you who bring fruit. God, and as we're talking about being formed in you, that ultimately, Lord, we want to be drawn closer into your presence. Would you teach us how to do that? God, would you help us as well to see this is not about doing, but it's about being who we are and being faithful there. God, and even now, as we prepare to step into a song, Lord, would you draw us to you? to stir our affections for the one who is lovely above all. God, we need you and we love you. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Refuge Church podcast. For more sermons or to learn how you can give to refuge, check out our website at refugejaxchurch.com. For those who have heard the gospel and believe the gospel, go out living the gospel. You are sent.